As I mentioned before, uh, we are in the midst of uh, journal season. We're in week two of a series called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And uh, I hope, uh, how many of you guys got a journal and got to dive into it this week? Good stuff. Hopefully it's been great. If you haven't, like I said before, make sure you grab one. And seriously, if the $5 is a big issue, don't worry, just grab one. We'd love for this to get into your hands. But uh, for me, it, there is just something great about having a starting place. I was talking with someone uh, earlier today just about sometimes maybe it's not even my full devotional, but maybe it's just something that helps prep my mind for the day and set my heart right for prayer. So make sure you grab one of these. It's really, really great tool uh, of growth. So, Well, last week we began this series called Your Future Self Will Thank You. And this whole idea behind this is we're talking about holiness, habits, and the Holy Spirit. And we're looking at this idea of what would our future self want to tell us. Now think about that in a very real sense. How many of you guys remember the Back to the Future movies? Okay, I want you to picture in your mind that you have been given a DeLorean, which how cool would that be? Minus the fact that like you can't really park in public places very well. But you have a DeLorean, the flux capacitor is there, you can travel back in time or go, uh, 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 or even into the future. But I want you to think about this, whatever age you are, I want you to set, think about yourself 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now. Think of yourself, some of you are like, Aaron, I may be in a different place. That's not a bad place. Maybe, maybe set it smaller. Two years, five years, three years, whatever it is. Imagine if your future self could come back in time. Now in Back to the Future 2, Biff, who is the uh, villain, obviously, he finds this almanac that has all of these sports things, and he comes back in time and gives him that so he can do some sports betting. Obviously, none of us are sinners in here and would do that, right? Um, just kidding. Just tithe the money. Just kidding. Um, Gosh, some of you are like, good Lord, we need to pray for him. You do. Um, but imagine, what would your future self tell you? What would they tell you that, hey, I wish you would have done this. I wish you would have started doing this earlier. I wish you would have had this conversation before this happened. I wish you would have taken this risk. What would your future self say? And based off how you're currently living your life, here's a tough question to think about. Would your future self thank you or not? The way you're currently living your life, the way that you spend your money, the way that you spend your time, the way that you're investing in your relationship with Christ, with your spouse, with your children, with your grandchildren, would your future self thank you? And maybe here's an even sobering, more difficult question. Would Jesus thank you? Would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or would he say, man, I wish you would have done it a little bit different? Last week we began talking about prayer. And we talked about this idea that prayer is probably the most important habit that you could create because prayer helps center our attention on Jesus, and Jesus changes everything. We talked a little bit last week about just the frightening reality of how we live in a time and a culture where our attention is up for grabs, where our attention span is slowly dropping, and how prayer, though, has the opportunity to help combat that. 
That prayer has this opportunity to help really uh, dial us into uh, being in relationship with God and seeking after his will and his way. And prayer simply is just this. It's communication and communion with God. It's talking and listening. And we went through this model that uh, you can find in the journal that's called Pray, which literally just stands for uh, uh, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. And again, dive in the journal. You can find out more about that. This morning, before we kind of dive into what we're going to talk about uh, for this morning, which is going to be about our mindset, our thinking, I want to talk a little bit about habits because maybe it's a word that we use. I don't know about you. Can, can we be real sometimes? There's some words that are really basic that I think I pretend that I know what it really means and I don't. Anyone else ever will be honest where sometimes people will talk to you and they're saying either something super complex or maybe even super basic and you just pretend you know so you don't look dumb? Anyone? Yes, if you're not raising your hand, it's because you're lying and we can work on that too. But a habit is, I did some more research on it to kind of hone in on what it is, uh, is this. Habit is a behavior that starts as a choice and then becomes a nearly unconscious pattern. Now, habits can be both good and bad. But regardless, there's something that we begin by choosing, but eventually it just becomes this sort of natural routine that we have no matter what. Now, habits, typically uh, researchers and scientists have found this. They, they have kind of a, a distinct pattern. They call it the habit loop. It starts with a cue, then it goes into a routine, and then eventually there's a reward. Now, a great, uh, great, great one maybe as an example might be this. Uh, maybe someone who smokes. The cue is that they, they wake up for the day and their body automatically craves the nicotine. And so the routine is they go outside right away, they have the smoke, and then the reward is that they experience the nicotine. Maybe for some of us, maybe this is an even more real one for most of us, you wake up, you turn over, you grab your phone. You open up to Facebook or email, whatever it may be, and the reward is maybe you get a dopamine hit because someone liked your status. Maybe you get a dopamine hit because you got an email about a deal that closed that you're super excited about. But either way, it becomes this unconscious things that you do. Now, here's the really good news and maybe the bad news about it. The bad news is just this. Habits are kind of like these hardwiring things. It's very difficult just to completely stop a habit. It's almost impossible. Typically what researchers find is that to change a habit, you just quite literally have to change it. And so, for example, maybe if you have a goal of wanting to read Scripture, but your habit uh, loop that you have is every morning you wake up, you grab your phone, you lay in bed for a while, eventually the kids wake up and the routine goes on, uh, your reward was the fact that you got to lay in bed for a little while and you got to see what was going on in the Facebook, Twitter sphere. But that's kind of the routine, and it just goes on and on. Instead, maybe the routine is just this. Maybe you put your phone on the other side of the room, and your Bible or your journal goes next to it. And so you kind of begin to hijack that loop. Maybe if uh, you were the smoker, maybe the, the thing is instead your cue is that you wake up and you decide that you're going to go for a run. And the, re- the routine becomes that you begin to go for a run. And the reward is that you also get dopamine from that exercise. It's the neat thing about habits. They can be changed. They can be hijacked in some ways for good. But the issue becomes is just this. Very few of us 
ever will have the willpower or the self-control just to completely stop a habit. It's why very few people do actually know who go cold turkey on something, in particular, especially without replacing it with something else. Now, I want to throw this out here as we begin this message. We're going to, we're going to explore some of what the Apostle Paul had to say about mindset. And when I think about the Apostle Paul, when I think of different people in Scripture who I would not want to trade lives with them, I would not want to trade lives with the Apostle Paul. Paul is this guy who has this amazing conversion, goes from being a person who persecutes Christians to arguably one of the most influential, important figures in uh, the faith. But this is also a guy who spent most of his life constantly traveling and moving around. He experienced multiple shipwrecks, many beatings, and spent a large majority of his adult life in prison. Not necessarily someone that I'm like, man, I want your life. Trade me. My biggest thing usually is uh, if I'm like, oh, gosh, I got forgot to get chicken out today. I guess I'm going to have to decide if we can afford to get pizza. That's like some of my like bad ideas, like my hard parts of the day. Although, let's be honest, every once in a while, anyone else purposely not get out the chicken for your wife so that way you can get pizza? Sorry, babe. But when I think about thinking, here's something that I think is important. I'll say it again throughout this message, but it's this. How you think and what you think think about will determine who you become and what you do. How you think and what you think about will determine who you become and what you do. Meaning this. In a lot of ways, the mind is the gateway towards our activities and towards our habits. Most of us, our poor habits that we have are in some ways a reflection of our poor image of ourselves. Most of us have a faulty view of who we are. We have identity issues. I mean, that really could sum up the entirety of the idea of sin. Is sin in so many ways is this uh, manifestation of rebellion, of brokenness, because of an improper view of our identity and our thought in relationship to God. You go back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve, the very first humans created. They have this fall, and this fall comes from the fact that Satan the great deceiver, as he's oftentimes referred to, doesn't actually do much other than just begin to plant doubts and ask questions about who God is, which in turn goes back to who we are. Now, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite uh, theologians from the 19th century, says this. He says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And he says this because it reflects this idea that if you have a view of God that is either God isn't real, that's going to affect how you live. If you have a view of God who is this judgmental, distant, uh, conniving, malicious God, your relationship to him is not going to be a healthy one. Yet if you have a viewpoint of a God who is a loving Father, who is Lord of all, creator of all. You begin to have a better relationship. Your life, your mindset begins to flow out because it's in the proper 
place. So how we think and what we think about will determine who we become and what we do. Now, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be up on the screen. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through some other uh, scriptures, but I want to hone in on this one uh, big time. And what I want to do first is read its entirety, and then we're going to break it down a little bit. So this is Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. It just says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And then we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now let's talk about this. Let's break this down. Let's start with the first couple of verses. Let me read this again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Paul indicates already, whether you know this or not, that we live in a world where there is a constant battle going on. Though we as followers of Jesus believe and know that there is victory because of Jesus defeating death on the cross and rising again, there's still, in some ways, it's almost like it's almost like how in some wars there's battles that continue going on even though the war is technically over. And every single one of us have battles. We have battles of the mind in particular. There's temptation. There's the fact that our, our sinful nature desires one thing, and yet the Spirit of God and His desires for us desires something different. But the good news that Paul reminds us of is just this. We don't wage war the way that the world does. We don't have to use weapons like that. We have weapons that are different. He uses this word uh, that we have divine power. The Greek word, which the Old or New Testament was originally written in Greek and Aramaic, comes from this word dunamis, which is where we get the word for dynamite. And it's just this explosive power. It's this force that can just bring reckoning to things. And so when Paul writes and says that we, that we have this divine power to demolish strongholds, a stronghold isn't really a word we use anymore. Maybe prison is a great word, but uh, any of my, uh, if, if you want to think about this, it's this fortified military stronghold. It's oftentimes this place that is impenetrable and difficult. One great way, if anyone else is a nerd in here, if you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings movies, the second movie, the two towers, there's Helm's Deep, and it's, it in some ways it's this stronghold. It's this, this place that's built into a mountain, and it is hard to uh, really get inside of it. And so when he talks about demolishing strongholds, one, of a, one, one thing that comes to mind that I think we just have to begin to ask our questions is, it's just this. What are the strongholds in your life? What are the strongholds in your life? Is it the fact that maybe you deal with lust? Is it the fact that maybe you deal with this lack of self-confidence? You, you have your own... Um, Images of what you wish you were and you don't feel that way. And so you deal with comparison. Maybe your stronghold is the fact that you have an issue with spending. 
Maybe it's that you uh, have an anger issue. Maybe you have this feelings uh, where you can't be intimate with anyone else. Whatever it is, the first step in demolishing a stronghold in many ways is acknowledging that there's one in your life. Because every single one of us, I guarantee, has something in our life that is like a fortified prison that is holding us back from the love and the grace that God has for us. But the good news, as we heard, is just this, that the God of all the universe has this divine power to demolish. Now, what I love about this idea is that when you look at the Greek word for demolish, do you know what it means? It means to demolish. Demolish isn't a word that we use as like a, like, you know, a light thing. When you say someone demolished something, I mean, you were just talking about a reckoning has happened. We're not sort of saying, you know, he barely got in and then he won. We're talking about something that just obliterates something. And so the God of all the universe has the power to demolish the strongholds in our lives. Now, if we're really honest, most of our strongholds, very few of us probably are dealing with a quite literally physical stronghold that someone is putting us in prison. Most of us, it begins in our mind. Every act of sin begins in the mind. I used to laugh when people would say things like, well, this just happened. I, you know, I just happened to sleep with this person. Or I, you know, I just happened to accidentally steal this thing. Or I, I just happened to say this thing. No, 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 no. It starts here. It's why when Jesus taught, he expanded this idea that in the Old Testament law, he used to say things like, don't murder, don't commit adultery. Easy peasy. I don't, I just won't do that act. And Jesus comes along and he says what? He says, you have heard. Don't murder, but I say if you have anger towards your brother, you've already committed murder. Or you've heard, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, if you have a lustful thought in your mind, you have already committed adultery. It's because Jesus understood the connection between the mind and our actions. And he recognized this. Now he also recognized the fact that the power of God, the Spirit of the Almighty God, has power that can demolish every stronghold. The issue typically becomes just this. If you're the one locked in the stronghold, guess what? It means you've locked yourself inside. You're the one who has put yourself there. And truthfully, the only way out is to accept the power that will demolish it for you. Now he goes on this, goes on, Paul goes on and he says this, we demolish arguments in every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now what does that mean? I think what he means is just this, if you caught this, talks about the knowledge of God. Now, when you understand the knowledge of God, what I think he's really saying is when you understand who God is in his proper place, that is going to reflect who you are. That when you begin to understand God as Lord, God as creator, God as father, 
When you understand who he is, that begins to determine who and whose you are. And that when we have that, it means that we can begin to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, a lot of us, we stay locked in sin for a long time. And half the reason is just this. We don't really believe God is powerful enough to help us conquer it. We look for self-help things, which again, not all of those things are bad. We look for kind of life hacks. I mean, that's half of the research I've been doing preparing for this message. Some great scientific studies, some great methods and things like that. But all of those things don't provide true transformation. They can help aid in the transformation, but we recognize that true transformation only comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. We recognize that. And when we have relationship with Jesus Christ, we begin to understand how he sees the world and how he wants us to see it. And we begin to be able to train our minds and our thoughts on the ways that he would have for us. You know, the best way to demolish a lie is to tell the truth. When Jesus is baptized, he immediately is taken out to the wilderness and he is put through these temptations by Satan. And every time, Satan offers him something really good. I mean, can we talk about temptation for a second? Temptation is only the tempting of something good. I mean, think about it. And it's always a great deal on the front end, right? He tempts him with power, with authority, He tempts him because he's hungry. And yet when Jesus is tempted with lies from Satan, because here's the thing, temptation, the lies, the mind games that Satan plays with us, he dangles good things in front of us that aren't lasting things, that aren't eternal things, that aren't really good things. But oftentimes we succumb to them because we believe the lies. We continue in the bad habit, the addiction, because we say, I don't know that I'm worthy of his love. I'll never change. What's one more drink? What's one more bite? What's one more text message? What's one more search? Because we believe those things will mask the pain that we have. We oftentimes trade a temporary high for eternalness that is not great. And so when we begin to be in relationship with Jesus and we begin to allow his divine power to demolish those strongholds, the other thing that it does is we take captive those things. Now think about this. When you take captive something, you own it, right? I mean, when someone is taken captive in war, they're not out on the battlefield creating any havoc anymore, are they? They're locked away somewhere. Now that's not a thing on war, so don't go that way. I'm just saying this. If you want to stop your enemy, you don't just ignore your enemy. You capture your enemy. And so when Jesus, or when Paul is talking here, he's saying this. You take captive the thoughts that you have that are lies, and you begin to take captive them and tell the truth. And so the lie that used to say, you will never change, you are not worthy, you hear, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I am well pleased and who I love. 
The one that says you will never have the opportunity to stop taking that bite, to get in shape and do those things. No, you say, no, 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 no. One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, and I believe that God believes that I can have this as well if I believe in Him, if I follow Him. You see, when we begin to change our minds, our lives can begin to change. Put another way, is just this. Obedience to Christ, it begins in the heart, but it's tested in the mind. You see, we begin to obey Christ by giving our heart to Him, our soul to Him, our, our, our whole being. But we'll be tested in the mind. And the most likely way that I, we begin to fall is that we begin to think that we're untouchable. We begin to rely on our own strength rather than his strength. In Romans chapter 8, in another one of Paul's letters, he just said this. He said, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. In Second Peter, he wrote this. He said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Did you hear that? His divine power, not our own power, His divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Everything. Can I be honest with you? Most of us don't follow through, don't experience growth and holiness because the mind game tricks us. We don't believe the Word of God. We don't actually believe that God has given us everything we need. Yes, it requires lifestyle change. Yes, it, it requires changing our environment. Yes, it requires habits and accountability. But do you actually believe this? And this isn't some sort of self-help, like just believe in yourself and you can do whatever you want. That's a bunch of bull. Pardon my French. It is. When you understand the gospel, we recognize this, that we are powerless to sin on our own. The gospel helps remind us that without Christ, we are nothing. We don't stand a chance. Yet when we begin to be, to, to be in relationship with him and experience his divine power, we have everything we need, not to accomplish it on our own, but to accomplish it with him. But the question becomes, are we really going to believe that? Can we change our mindsets to really buy into that and believe that. Some of that, I think, is just this. We have to every day truly acknowledge who we are. To say back that identity. Now, I'm not necessarily saying you have to be like uh, Stuart Smalley from the old SNL skit where you look in the mirror and say, you know, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me. But I do think there is something about looking in the mirror and reminding ourselves that I am the son of the God of all the universe. I am the daughter who was purchased by Jesus. That through the Holy Spirit, I can do this. That through his help, through his, his being with me, I can demolish a stronghold that is holding me back. That he will go before me. He'll never leave me. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote this. He said, finally, 
Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We're going to dive a little bit more into this next week, but I'm convinced of this more and more. We have to begin to acknowledge the fact that what we consume, what we follow, what we think about deeply affects us. As easy as it is to say, I can watch this and it doesn't really matter. I can participate in this and it doesn't really matter. We want to compartmentalize our lives into saying, this little thing is this hidden thing that God doesn't need to see. This is my life over here that I get to enjoy this part. Yeah, I'll give you all this over here, but I'm, I'm going I'm to have this part over here. can't do that. You know, when Paul talks about this idea of, of just having our minds fixed or dwelling upon this, it's just this. He recognizes this fact that it's really hard to have a good and positive life if all you think about is negative thoughts. Can I be honest? The word discipleship, and we're going to be talking more about discipleship in in the coming uh, year, because I believe uh, being a disciple, which is quite literally just being a student, a follower, apprentice of Jesus, it requires intentionality, it requires attention and follow-through, it requires self-control and willpower. But guess what? Whether you believe it or not, you are currently being discipled. Every sort of thing that is coming into your mind, every sort of thing that comes across the news, across uh, Facebook, across email, is discipling your thoughts, your your mood, your viewpoints. And that's why the importance of being discipled by Christ is it begins to transform the way we think, which then will begin to transform the way We do everything. The way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we engage in relationships. Every aspect of our lives can be changed when we begin to think about the good things. And this isn't pie in the sky. This isn't just like ignore bad things in the world. No, no, no. This is is fixing our mind upon Christ and what he desires for us most. Because again, the best way to defeat a lie is to tell the truth. The best way in our world to change our world, to change culture, isn't to tell culture how bad it is. Isn't to say how negative it is, but is to live a life that is so full of truth that it demolishes the strongholds in our own lives and in our world that are evil and are false. Now, let me give a a, a thought process before we kind of land the plane. When you think about goals, habits, resolutions, here's the thing that I think can be difficult. Oftentimes we start with what we want to do. And I think that's a dangerous recipe to fail. We start with, I want to lose five pounds, or I I want to uh, read my Bible, or I want to uh, spend more time with my children. I want to uh, invest in my marriage. One of the issues of that is those are just great intentions, great thoughts, but there's not much to them. 
May I suggest maybe a more powerful thing would be begin with who do you want to become? Who do you want to become? So maybe put a different way, if you want uh, to lose five pounds, maybe it becomes by saying, I would like to become more physically healthy. Maybe if you want uh, your marriage to uh, be better, maybe it's, I, I, I want my marriage to reflect the relationship of God and the church. And so I want this to be, uh, uh, be I want us to become a Christ-centered couple. Whatever your, your goal is, start with who you want to be. Because if your mindset gets in the right place and your mind is dwelling upon Christ, then in theory, that flows out of there. Then you tease out, of course, you have to be more specific about exactly what you want to do. But start with who you are. Because here's why I think this is important. I think God cares more about who you are than what you do. And the reason is, is that what you do flows from who you are. I'll say that again. God cares more about who you are than what you do. Because what you do flows from who you are. Now, don't hear me on the fact that God doesn't care about what we do. But I am haunted when I read Scripture for my own self and for many others where there are people who, who at the end of time come to Jesus and say, we prophesied in your name, we, we fed the hungry, we did all sorts of different things. We did all of these good things. I, 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 I put in these habits, I did all of these things. And Jesus gives the haunting response to them of just saying, away from me, I, I never knew you. God wants to know you far more than he wants you just to do stuff for him. He wants to be with you. He wants your identity to be rooted not in the things that you do, but in just your son and daughtership. Nothing less, nothing more. Now back to habits. Last week we talked about the idea of developing a habit of prayer. Second habit I want to challenge you guys with is a habit of reading Scripture. Now, there are some habits that are more important than others. Researchers call them keystone habits. And, and what makes a keystone habit different than another habit is just this. The habit itself has other effects more than just what you're trying to do in of itself. So last week we talked about this idea that uh, prayer, or in particular when we think about um, the idea of, of, of silence and stillness or uh, meditation, however you want to phrase it, uh, being a part of your prayer life, that it had effects on it more than just that, that that, that, that helped reduce anxiety. It helped uh, create better self-control and willpower in other aspects of your life. So a keystone habit is just this. It's something, again, that you do that while it is important in that sphere of your life, it kind of overlaps and spills into other ones. I just saw this video uh, actually just yesterday, and I thought it was too good not to share about why reading Scripture, and in particular hitting a certain amount of Scripture, uh, is really important and can kind of be a keystone habit in your life. So check out this video just real quick. There was a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. It, they weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, 
when we're in the scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday. That's pastor saying you open your Bible. We hear the message one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map. Like there was a heartbeat. Something happened again, a heartbeat. Okay. But here was the profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, th- I mean, there'd be a gradual incline right. on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this what, extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Ang- four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. just sort of like if I have buckets in my life, this bucket is just the one that goes into, you know, my spiritual life. And we need to begin to realize that we need to stop compartmentalizing. Stop treating your life like a waffle, make it a pancake. It's just, it's all there. Let the syrup all run together. I got food on my mind. But seriously, what if, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I hear those things, because can I be honest with you? Uh, one thing I never anticipated as a pastor that would become an interesting thing is how easy it is to do Christian work and be able to neglect my own discipleship to Jesus. Just being honest with you guys. And yet that right there tells me, I don't know about you, but seeing those statistics, I want that in my life. I want those things to drop. I want to experience some of those pieces. I mean, it's a byproduct. In some ways, I... You know, it's, we're, we're realizing that science is backing up biblical truth that we already knew. But here's why I think this would be so huge, so important. And again, you could even start by using the journal as the way that you're doing this. But why it could be so important to get into Scripture four times, too, is, again, we're talking about this idea of our mindset. When we read Scripture, Scripture is going to help form our mind. It's going to help shape our worldview. It's going to help shape who we think we are, how we think about God, if we're reading it in the right way. And so if you need help finding that, if you go to our website, there's a, uh, there, there's a page that has a ton of extra resources, too, on ways to grow and in particular engage in Scripture. If you need help with the plan, please find me. I would love to hook you up with someone, and we'd love to do that. But I think it could be so important. I want to close with this Scripture from Lamentations, which uh, if you've ever heard of Lamentations, it's a book in the Old Testament that's just a sad book, honestly. It's like if you want to be depressed, like just go read Lamentations. It's not... Um, it's not one that you're like, woohoo! Let me bust this one out for a joy message. But in Lamentations, this is what it says. I, I love 
I love the way that there's an honesty about life, but there's a hopefulness. Lamentations chapter 3. I remember my affliction in my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember when my soul is downcast within me. Anyone ever been there? I can remember those moments. But then he says, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassion never fails. In his compassion, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Change your mind. Change your life. Change your mind. Change your life. Again, I believe this, that how you think and what you think about will determine who you become and what you do. So begin to dwell upon this thought. Begin to believe that you are a son, you are a daughter, who the God of all the universe has sought out because he loves you, because he sees so much in you, and most of all, he just desires to be with you. And believe this, that through him all things are possible because he is with you, he is for you, and he loves you. We're going to close with one last song, and while we do this, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and uh, I'm going to close in prayer. And my hope and prayer is that maybe during this moment, during this song, maybe this could be the moment that you begin to really allow the God of all the universe and his divine power to just break down a stronghold that's in your life. Let's pray. God, we praise you just again for who you are. We praise you for the fact that, God, you haven't left us. God, I know some people have this view of either there's no God or that that you're this distant God who is just out of our lives, who've left us, and that what is going on in our life just is what's going to happen. God, I can't imagine the hopelessness that some people like that live. God, I thank you for the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. God, we believe and we proclaim that every stronghold represented in this room, God, that you are powerful enough to demolish them. God, that you are powerful enough to take captive every negative thought, every thought that says we're not good enough, that we'll always be that way, that we'll never be loved in this capacity, that we could never get into this shape, that we could never actually engage with Scripture, that no one would ever view us in this capacity. God, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would take captive every thought, that you would demolish every stronghold, and that you would make those thoughts obedient to your son, Jesus. God, we want to follow you, and we want to be like your son. So God, during this time of worship, would you speak to us in any way you want to speak to us? Because we are listening. Amen.